it, it is all about Jesus. And so we started last week with the letters to seven churches. And, and each one of them gives a description of Jesus from chapter 1. Uh, last week we saw uh, the, the, Ephesian, the letter to the Ephesian church. And they were described as the loveless church. And, and what we see is they were, they were doing kingdom work. They were pushing forward through the difficulties that they faced in doing that work. They were even commended for their patience. They had the right theology. They were keeping themselves pure, and they were persevering. And when most of us hear all of this, we think, wow, it looks like the Ephesian church really had it all together. But we're told that they were missing one thing. They had left their first love. Uh, First love has been described as the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes a new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. And when that devotion to Christ overflows into everything we're doing, that's when Jesus is honored. But the Ephesians were not motivated by love. And we believe this is the church that Timothy pastored. We believe that uh, John was a part of this church before he was exiled to Patmos where he received this revelation. They look really nice and busy on the outside. And to anyone living in the, the, the town of Ephesus, they would have thought that church has it all together. But their hearts were distracted and they were just going through the motions. They were in a spiritual rut. Um, Man, have you ever been in a spiritual rut? Man, I I have. Um, What we see is what what we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is most important. Even when working for the Lord, we can still become disconnected from Him. When we serve just because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do, there's no heart behind it. God sees through the whole thing. And with all of these letters to the churches, we have to remember, because of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you and I are now temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of God. So we as individuals are the church. And this is a beautiful building. So loveless could describe a body of believers. It can also describe individuals too. Some of us probably need to make, Lord, just take me back to my first love, our daily prayer, until he answers it. I need to do that sometimes. I always preach to myself. The instruction to the Ephesians were to remember. Remember from where they had fallen. It means to remember who you were before you met Jesus. Hopeless, wretched, lost, and how he turned everything around. Let us never forget the Lord has done great things for us. He took my place. He paid the price for my sins, and now my soul is counted free, just like we sang this morning. I will get to spend eternity with him. Remember, the second command was to repent. Do a complete 180. Acknowledge that a stale heart is, is sinful. Identify the steps that you took to get there. A lot of times we, we forget to identify the steps, and then we just take the same steps over and over again. Seek forgiveness. Make a plan to not go back there, even it's, if it's as simple as starting with, Lord, bring me back to my first love and making that a daily prayer. Remember, repent, and return to the first works, uh, not just because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do, but because there is a desire in your heart to reconnect each day with your Lord and Savior. Remember, repent, or return, or be removed. <clears throat> we can't look into the future and see a hundred years where First Baptist Church will be. We really can't even see where we'll be in in one year. We can sure get our hearts right 
and head in the right direction today with the right motives, with the right attitude, so as to set the generations that are, are to come down the right path. The next letter is to the church in Smyrna, the next blank from your outline there. Uh, they are known as the persecuted church, the church at Smyrna. Uh, we'll begin in Revelation 2, 8. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Remember, angel is a word that means messengers, and it was likely to the pastors of these churches. These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Not fear any of the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful till the, until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So first, let's notice the uh, description of Jesus from chapter 1. We've been seeing it the last two weeks. Uh, the first and the last, Alpha and Omega. Uh, first last and everything in between he is sovereign over every moment of time but then it calls jesus the one who was dead and came to life now we know this is of course referring to jesus's most difficult time on this earth where he would lay down his life as as all as a part of god's plan how he intended it all along and it was out of that difficulty that the greatest triumph in human history came so in reminding this church who were facing immense persecution that Jesus faced immense persecution and overcame, he's identifying with his readers. You can write that down. He's identifying with his readers and he's giving them hope. See, this is the personal Jesus that we serve. He understands what you are going through. Jesus understands pain. Jesus understands hurt. Jesus understands fear. He understands betrayal. So whatever you are going through, Jesus can identify with you. Find your hope in him. Smyrna is the persecuted church. It's one of, uh, one of, of two churches of the seven that there is no accusation brought against it. God doesn't call them out for any specific sin. Now, isn't it interesting? That was under greatest persecution had no accusation brought against it. Apparently, that's the result of stripping everything else away but our relationship with God. Verse 9 says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. That word tribulation, we've seen it before. You might remember, thlepsis. It means oppressing together. Uh, remember, uh, thlepsis was an execution method in ancient times where they would put weight on the condemned until they died. Thlepsis can include distress, oppression, affliction. Most of us know thlepsis. That word poverty, it means abject poverty, owning absolutely nothing. In this Roman culture, everyone was expected to believe Caesar is Lord, but these believers knew better. And when they wouldn't conform to society, they were excluded. The Jewish religion was accepted by Rome, but Christianity was not. So they had the Gentiles of Rome persecuting them, and they had Jewish non-believers persecuting them. It could have been family, neighbors, government. This persecution was coming from all different directions. They suffered tribulation, 
They were in abject poverty, owning absolutely nothing. But notice what verse 9 says next. But you are rich. So church, we see yet another way how the gospel affects our lives and, and changes our hearts. The next blank on your outline, the gospel changes our values. How in the world can, can a people whose families and neighbors have turned on them, who the government is against, who has been excluded from society, they've lost everything, be considered rich? Because whatever they were giving up, everything they were called to give up, didn't come close to comparing to the eternal riches that they trusted were coming. This is the inheritance and hope that Peter talks about, that we sang about. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Church, no one can take that hope away. No one can take away that inheritance, not the government, not the stock market, not persecutors. They may be able to take everything else away, but they cannot take away our hope and inheritance that is in heaven because they reside in Jesus, and nobody can take that away. Nobody can take him away. The value of that hope and the value of that inheritance, it does not compare to anything in this world. And suffering only increases the value. The value of the gospel. Don't we value a whole lot of things, but do we truly value the gospel? Church, one of these days, None of our earthly possessions will matter. Absolutely none of them. And yet, so many times it's easy for us to, for, for things to be what we live for. What would be our reaction if everything was stripped away and we found ourselves in abject poverty because of our faith? Our brothers and sisters around the world, they're facing this. And there are no guarantees that we won't. And more and more, it seems like uh, it, it's coming. Are we ready? Where do our affections truly lie? What do we value the most? Notice God's word to these suffering believers. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things. Which you are about to suffer. I don't know about you, but it, it kind of makes me uneasy when I hear about our brothers and sisters around the world suffering and the possibility that it might come here. As we've seen before, uh, there is more going on than meets the eye. And we need to remember and never forget this opposition that we face, that, that the church is facing around the world, is coming from the synagogue of Satan. Don't ever listen to his lies and let him trick you into believing that whatever you're going through, God is causing it or God is not in control or that God has forsaken you because that's completely against the word of God. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Identify where it's coming from and run from it. Head towards the truth. 
God says to us two things in this reality. First of all, do not fear. Uh, verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. When, when the lies of Satan want to be the loudest in our lives, don't let them be. We don't need to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, Isaiah was originally written to, to a people under God's hand of judgment. And even so, the instructions, don't be afraid. Fear not. And the promises that follow, I am with you. This is God saying this. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And church, that's the same right hand that holds the keys to death and hell that we saw in Revelation chapter 1. It is an all-powerful right hand. And so we don't have to be afraid at whatever might come because in the big scheme of things, God's got this. God's got us. God's got you. Even though some of us may have to face some of the most difficult times in our life. Just like when Jesus did, because of him, we'll end in something good and great and glorious. He knows the devil's schemes. Satan only has as much power as we give him in our lives. And ultimately, Satan only has as much power as Jesus allows. And he will hold us through the schemes of of the devil. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, verse 10 says, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, uh, that 10 days is probably not a literal 10 days, but in the word, 10 days can symbolize a, a short time. And, and when things are not going like we want them to, nothing seems like a short time, but this is what 2 Corinthians 4 6 calls light momentary afflictions. Small potatoes, a short time. The instructions were, don't be afraid, because in light of eternity, this isn't going to last very long. Secondly, be faithful. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. That phrase, crown of life, is referring to an athletic contest. Uh, you may remember in ancient Rome, R Roman culture, at the completion of an athletic contest, a wreath was given to the victor. It was the highest prize given. What is referred to here? It's the promise of God to those who remain faithful, those who make it to the finish line, through the grueling labor, whatever, wherever it might take us, there is a prize at the end, and it is life, and it is glorious. The crown of life, this, this wreath, I understand one day we will set at the feet of Jesus in glory. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second, second death. You may die a physical death, but the second death, the death of your soul, you won't experience. So what is God saying to you through the persecuted? Relate most to that one more than any of the rest. <clears throat> John moves from the persecuted church to the compromising church in Pergamos. Pick it up in Revelation 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church of Pergamos, write. 
These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. (coughs) But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you and quickly will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives. First of all, uh, notice how Jesus is described in verse 13 there. He has the sharp, two-edged sword. Uh, This is the same description used in chapter 1. And there we see the sword is coming from his mouth. The sword is his words. Word of God. So Pergamos is another one of those churches at first glance. It looks like they've got it all together. Jesus acknowledges that this church has been planted in a dark place. Pergamos was known for idol worship. The first temple to Caesar was built there. Uh, Their chief god was a god of healing. It was in the form of a serpent on a staff. Uh, You recognize it because this is it. This is where we get our medical symbol. People from all over would come to Pergamos in hopes of being healed by this deity. So Jesus said, I know you dwell in a dark place where Satan's throne is. And yet, they held fast to his name. They didn't deny the faith. Even when Antipas, who we don't really know a whole lot about, uh, he may have been a leader, may have been the pastor of the church at Pergamos, even when he was killed for his faith. But when Pergamos was compared against the word of God, that sharp two-edged sword that came out of the mouth of Jesus, they fell short. So just just think about that for a moment. If, If the government came in and executed just one of us for our faith, that would be enough motivation for some of us to compromise our belief and action. Those thoughts would begin to overwhelm us. Uh, What if just one is the start? What if they come for me? What if they come for my family? And don't we know that Satan just loves to stir the pot of panic? He loves to infiltrate the church with, with false teachings. Here we see the Nicolaitans once again. We saw them last week with Ephesus. Uh, they teach the doctrine of Balaam. Now, <coughs> some of you may know the story of Balaam. It's found in Numbers 22 and 23. Balaam was a prophet of God who used his, the gifts God had given him to uh, get personal gain from King Balak, who hired Balaam to come and curse the Israelites as they approached his border. God turned those curses into a blessing. And this is the story where Balaam's donkey actually spoke in human voice to him in order to open his eyes and his heart to what God was trying to, 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 to tell him. If you've never read it, I encourage you to check it out, Numbers 22 and 23 this week. Now, Balak couldn't believe that Balaam blessed the Israelites instead of cursing them, but apparently Balak eventually got his money's worth because as the rest of the story goes, Balak took Balaam's advice. He became friends with Israel instead. And he invited them to worship their pagan idols and to participate in their pagan 
worship ritual. Numbers 25 tells us that God judged his people for that. And 24,000 were killed because of their disobedience. So the Nicolaitans, they adopted Balaam's belief. They believed that it was okay to Jesus on their lives, but then go ahead and say, well, Caesar is Lord too. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, but so is Caesar. And so we see why this church was called the Compromising Church. Because by saying Caesar is Lord, they weren't excluded. By saying Caesar is Lord, they weren't persecuted. By saying Caesar is Lord, they lost their witness. It would kind of be like if any of us told our spouses, you are the love of my life, so is this other person. You can write this down. It wouldn't work maritally, and it does not work spiritually. Compromise doesn't work maritally, and it doesn't work spiritually either. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians in chapter uh, in 2 Corinthians 11. I am jealous for you with a, a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You may just compromise. That what we do, name of tolerance, put up with what is false in our lives, what is ungodly, and church, when we do that, I believe we open the door for Satan to come in and wreck us. Next blanks there on your outline. Have you opened the door? Compromising, open the door for Satan to come in and wreck you. I believe that as children of God, we cannot be possessed by the devil. We can be oppressed by him. Many times, that oppression comes because we invited it in by compromise. Church, this is why we so desperately need to saturate our lives with the word of God so that we know what it says this is why we desperately need to obey the word of God. We, we should invite our lives being compared against the word of God. Then we should make up for whatever we lack. Verse 17. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat know that manna is the bread of life that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness to sustain them 40 years. John 6.35 tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. So when we are obedient and connected to Jesus, we don't mind that sharp two-edged sword coming into our lives because we know it brings life. And even though it may be painful, it brings healing. We know that nothing compares to the reward we have waiting for us. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. In the Roman culture, a white stone was kind of like a, a backstage pass, all access. 
or whose ever name was written on it. And so here Jesus renames the believer and grants us access to heaven backstage for all eternity. Church, we can't get that one from anywhere that from anywhere one else. Nothing in this world will get us there. Nothing that we could worship will get us there besides go into a time of invitation. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Scott, we're going to be doing heart of worship. So think about two letters that we've seen here today. Persecuted church. That word sleepsis. It can mean persecution for our faith. It can also mean some other things. That that weight, that pressing down. And I know that we we understand what that is. God saying to you through that letter. If you're not faithful, get up. When you hear compromising church, when you hear that word compromise comes to mind. Is there anything in your life that you've allowed to come in you know you're compromising your faith, you're compromising your belief, you're compromising your relationship with God? Is there anything that likely has come to mind? What are you going to do with that? Have you allowed anything to just open the door for Satan to come in? As a child of God, you're you're not possessed, but man, you can sure see the oppression, the activity of, of Satan in your life. How did you get there? What was it that opened that door? What was it that just cracked that window just barely enough for him to get in? You allow God to work in your heart. The altar is open. You need to come and, and pray.